Amen. Good morning, Four Oaks Church. I'm Paul Gilbert, I'm the lead pastor. I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. I'm looking out here, and there's people here, there's people here, and there's just like this gap of like non-people here. I may call down the peanut gallery from the from the balcony to come fill the seats up. Okay, all the they're looking at me like you better not. Okay. <laughs> next week, boys. Next week. All right, Acts chapter 11. Here's the proposition. For us to consider this morning, discontentment, is it good or is it bad? And as we're going to see, yes, okay, yes. Now, now, now parents, you, you know how this game goes. You see this at home, right? Spring break is about to, about to come. And you know that, that if you don't have something planned for spring break, your kids are going to wake up the first morning and they're going to be... Mom and Dad, what do you got for us? I'm bored. Take us somewhere. Give us some money. Let us spend all day on Xbox. Well, whatever, okay? And we would have to say that a spirit of discontentment has infected your kids, and we need to like exercise that, like like the demon of discontentment or something, right? So, so discontentment is bad. But imagine, parents, that something wonderful happens on spring break, and this happens all the time in the Gilbert household. So the kids wake up, and they're like, Mom and Dad, we have a fresh vision of serving the home this week. So give us the chores. Give us all the things that you don't, that you don't want to do. We'll be glad to do them. We are not content to be slothful and lazy during this week. Does that not happen at your house? Anyway, it doesn't happen at ours either. But nonetheless, that would be a good kind of discontentment. You know, I think the same is true for us spiritually. There is a bad kind of discontentment that we can have where we are bitter with the Lord or we are angry or we are dissatisfied or we're searching and yearning and turning to everything and every place and everything except God to fill that hole. But you know what? There's also a good kind of spiritual discontentment. That's the kind that says God like we sang a minute ago, I need you. God, I'm not content with where I am in my holiness. I'm not content with where I am in my heart and my growth. God, I, I want you to work in me. God, I want more of you. See, see, there is a good kind of discontentment, and we're going to look at that, that kind of discontentment here in the church in Antioch. Acts 11, beginning in verse 19 I'm going to read this and it kind of explain how it relates to the season of kept that we're in. Acts 11, beginning at verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, that was the, the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, turn over one chapter to chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. You know, the, the church in Antioch had every reason to be enormously content spiritually. I mean, let's, let's think about this for a second. They were truly at the epicenter of the, of the, of the Christian world among the Greeks, it was, I mean, can you imagine your home church being the place where they first started calling followers of Christ Christians? Okay, that, that's quite a legacy. 
That's what, that, that's what a Christian means, to be a follower of Christ. It says in the text that, that the hand of God was, was with them. Now, it's not, I mean, you, I think you understand, they had assembled quite the, the, the preaching team here, right? <laughs> this was quite the team. When Saul or the Apostle Paul is listed last on your teaching team, you have a deep bench, right? Can we all agree on this? Okay. They were, I mean, th- they had it going on. Quite the heritage, every reason to be content, spiritually speaking. But look down in verse 2 of, the, of chapter 13. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now that phrase, worshiping the Lord and fasting, this seems to indicate that there was this season in the life of the church in Antioch where they were no longer content with where they were. They were thankful. Oh, absolutely. They were blessed. They were full of grace upon grace. But this idea of worshiping and fasting, it seems that there was this season in which they were coming to the Lord as a church and saying, God, you have have blessed us immensely. But Lord, we're asking you, what's next? What do you want for us as a church? What does it look like for us to move forward in the grace of God? God, you've done much here. I mean, tremendous blessing and graces. But God, our life is short. It's just a vapor. Our, our, our material resources are here today, gone tomorrow. So Lord, we're asking, how do you call us to build your kingdom? How do you call us to be everything that the church desires to be? And, and we're not sure how this happened, we don't know if it was through circumstances or inward impressions or, um, you know, unity, a conviction of unity among the leaders, or we, we really don't know. But God told them clearly, set apart Barnabas and Saul and go. Release them. Because we, we got to be careful sometimes what we ask God for, right? <laughs> okay. So when you lose the Apostle Paul from your home team, that's, that, that, that's, a, that's a difficult that's a, that's a difficult decision, difficult point of God's movement. And see, there's, a, there, there, there's, there's something really here for us to grab hold of as a church. Because that's really what we've been asking. We've really been asking God to give us the heart of the church in Antioch, recognizing on one hand, hey, we have our own story. Um, it's... I'm sorry, you don't have the Apostle Paul on your preaching team, okay? But nonetheless, okay, we've got a story, and God's blessed us. We've been telling that story over these past few weeks and praising God for his blessings. We've been praising him for the way that he's kept us, but we've also been asking, God, what have you kept us for? God, what do you want us to do? What does it mean to move forward as a church? We have been praying, okay, that God would kindle kind of a holy discontentment, that God would stir our hearts, that we would not be merely content to to rest upon his graces, although we do want to rest upon his graces. But God, we we want to be everything you've called us to be as a church. And so we've been spending these few weeks as part of this KEP series outlining some of the initiatives, vision, things that we believe as leaders that God is calling us to, to run after hard, to pursue as a church family. And, and just this is re, just a brief bit of review for those who weren't with us. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how we believe God has kept us together, okay, to, 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 to assemble. Like back in, we told the story back in 2008 when God led us to purchase this facility and to, to renovate it, we, we, we sensed his leading to be a permanent part of this community to serve our neighbors, to, to be right in the middle of thousands of residential homes and to be inviting those people to our community groups and to church and to church-wide events and frequenting businesses. And we, 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 felt, we, we felt like, God, this is, this is the way you're leading us. And we said, but we're entering a season where we want to aggressively begin paying down the debt on this building because we did not purchase this building back in 2009. Oh, no, no, Right. 
we began purchasing it. And we've been sending our, our monthly payments faithfully to Bank of the West. And we want to reduce the amount that we send to them. Okay? And we want to free up kingdom dollars to do the good stuff. And what, and what are some of those good things? Well, we talked about that last week, how we believe God has kept us to give. And so we, 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 par- we highlighted ministry partnerships with the Women's Pregnancy Center and the Phi Center and Go Foster and Guardian Ad Litems and the Florida um, Baptist Children's Home and, and highlighted adoption. And we said, you know, God has kept us together here, but he's also called us to give, serve, leverage our lives here in our own communities for the gospel, for those in need, for the least of these. We said by aggressively paying down our debt, we free up dollars to do really, really cool, we think, kingdom stuff. And so today, I want to outline a third sort of thing we believe as leaders that God is calling us to run after. And we're calling this kept to scatter. And it's really the the thing that we see happening in this passage Kept to scatter, we are kept to multiply. Now, let's, let's be honest, okay? If we can't be honest here, then where can we be honest, right? Okay. This, this, this one may not move the dial for us, for some of us, as it does others. So there's a contingent of, like, business dudes and ladies here who totally get this debt thing, okay? You're cranking up Dave Ramsey on the radio every day. Right? You got your debt okay, you got your debt snowball going. You're like, oh yeah, we need to debt snowball this thing as a church. We need to pay down this mortgage and we need to get out of debt. And and I'm all about it, Pastor Paul. Just tell me where to send the check. I will tell you where to send the check in a minute, okay? Um so some of you are all about that. Some of you are all about this kept to gift stuff. You're like, man, I just long to be a church, part of a church that has a heart for the least of these. I want to be giving myself away and my resources. And oh man, I'm just, and you're very excited about that. But when it comes to multiplication, let's be honest, some of us, for some of us, not so much. See, multiplication is like, that's like distant and abstract. Multiplication, that's kind of like for the church professionals. Multiplication might be for like superstar Christians out there somewhere, but, but not for me where I am today. Some of you have tasted multiplication. You're like, that's hard, and I don't want to do that again. Multiplication is expensive. It's costly. We give up relationships. As Tim Keller says, we're always having to say goodbye for the sake of the kingdom. So I want to just acknowledge that theological elephant just for a second. And I, and I honestly believe the older and more mature a church becomes biblically, the harder and harder it is to value multiplication. Because it's kind of like these, these home association meetings. When neighborhoods come out, this is not meant to be a political statement at all, neighborhoods turn out and say, we don't want that in our backyard. Not in our backyard, right? Okay. Now, when it was my turn, yes, in my backyard. But, but with somebody else, not in my backyard. And the older we get, the more kind of institutional we can become. And, and so multiplication can be hard. It can be a challenge. It can, it can seem, ah, oh, just too tired. I don't have the energy for this, right? Guys, let me throw down the theological gauntlet for us this morning and say something that I hope will, will provoke us. It's a little provocative, and here it is. If we don't understand multiplication, we misunderstand Christianity. If, if, we don't, if, we don't, if we don't get multiplication, there's something about the Christian message at the heart of the Christian message and gospel that we're not getting. Because when you do it, if you do a survey of Scripture around this theme of multiplication, Let me just tell you, it's not a secondary theme. It's not auxiliary. It's not peripheral. In fact, it's at the very heart of the heart of God. Okay, just a a sampling of of Scripture passages. Genesis 1.22, we've heard it all. We've heard heard this so many times. God's directive to mankind was to what? Be fruitful and multiply. 
See, God made humanity in his image to represent him, to carry out his mission and desires on, on earth. God told Abraham, Genesis 12, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So, so that, now for what reason? Think about this, Christian. God has saved you. God has made you a blessing. For what reason? What does he tell Abraham? So that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Because you can throw a rock and hit the book of Acts and come across this idea of multiplication. Not only in the passage we just read, Acts 12, 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 6, 7, the disciples multiplied greatly. Acts 9, 31, so the church had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? multiplied. Now, let me just try to illustrate just how patently obvious this is, but how so easy it is to overlook this this biblical theme of multiplication. Now, you don't need a biology textbook for me and for you to know that the reason that you are here, humanly speaking, as a human being, is because of the decision of two other human beings to decide to multiply themselves, right? Now, if that's not clear to you, our elders will be up front afterwards, and they'll answer any questions that you have about that, okay? Obvious. Because you understand, that's the way it works spiritually, right? If you are a Christian, if Christ is in you, if you follow him, do you understand you weren't born into that? You didn't inherit it. You weren't infected with it. You didn't get it by osmosis. You got it because a parent, a teacher, a pastor, a youth worker, a counselor, a friend decided, I'm going to multiply myself spiritually. Parents, isn't that your heart? That you want to see your children come to know the Lord? And so what do you do? You tell them. You teach them. You send them to school. You bring them to church. Paul makes this abundantly clear. This doesn't negate the sovereignty of God. Paul talks about God's sovereignty in Romans 9, but at Romans 10, he makes it very clear. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing, get it? Hearing by the word of God. Guys, that's how we are multiplied under God's providence and care spiritually. But something that may not maybe even be less obvious to some of us is that it's the same with churches. You see, every church you've ever been to, maybe it was the Baptist church you grew up in, in, in trying to think, Mariana, Florida, okay? Or it was the Presbyterian church that you were reared in in, in, the, in, the, in, in the downtown urban area of Philadelphia, or wherever, somewhere in between, But do you know that every church you've ever been to, you were able to go to that church because someone, some group, some denomination, some network, some core group, some leader decided to take Matthew 28 and Acts 1 seriously, that the church was to go and multiply. Just a a few examples. In 1989, John and Lee Kaiser moved to Tallahassee from Tampa to plant this church. We've been telling some of that story over the past few weeks. And they began meeting. They had, they had two couples that were with them. There, there, there probably were, were others closely connected, but two couples, John and Pam Cooper, who are now living in God's country um, in, in Tennessee, and then John and Margaret Stewart, okay, who for some reason are still here 27 years later. Okay? But they would meet over in the, the, the plantations at Pine Lake, apartment complex area for Bible study. They began to have sort of uh, public worship gatherings in January of 90, but the first public worship service of Forks Community Church was Easter of 1990. And you know, not very many people who were a part of that initiative are still here. God's called them other places or they passed away or what have you. But you know what? The reason we're here is because they decided to multiply. 
Because if you were to pick up your Bibles and thumb through the New Testament, or, or your tablet, or your iPad, or your iPhone, however you scan through, and, and you were to come across all of these names of these amazing letters. So there's Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and to the Galatians, and Ephesians, and Philippians, and Colossians, and Thessalonians. Do you know why we have these letters? We have these letters because the church in Antioch said, God, we have a holy discontentment. What do you have for us? And God said, set apart for me who? Paul, who planted with his teams all of these churches. So, so Christian, one of my goals this morning is that you would walk away from here, you and I would walk away from here thanking God for multiplication. You know, your community group, for those of you who go to your community group, and those of you who don't, shame. Anyway, that's all I was going to say. Your community group, to use a Harry Potter term, can I do this? Okay. Did not just mysteriously apparate here out of thin air. Okay. We just didn't like pray one day and say, God, we need some community groups. Why don't you just rustle some of those up for us? Okay. Well, we, we did pray that. But your community group is there because, guess what? Someone started it. Someone left their group. Someone, some couple, decided to, to multiply themselves. There was some sort of decision to begin a fresh work, to, to, to plant, to begin to multiply. Because when you think about multiplication as lying at the very heart of God, here's Here's why, let me tell you why we don't want to multiply. Let me tell you what the wrong reasons would be to multiply. We don't multiply because bigger is better. And that, that is not necessarily a good thing. We don't want to multiply because of status or reputation, or we want to be one of the 100 fastest growing churches in America, or on the cover of Christianity Today, or because we want to increase our imperialistic footprint. Think about all those terrible reasons to multiply. But you know, there's a much more fundamental reason to multiply, and it begins with the fact that, number one, God said to, okay, that could be enough, right? But why did God say that? Why did God say it is to be a premium for every Christian, okay, whether it's your community group, whether it's your church, your congregation, your family, your neighbors, your relationships, your Bible study, why did God say, go therefore into all the nations? Why did God do that? It's because of God. God see, God has a vision for the world. Habakkuk 2.14 says it like this. It says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, we don't multiply just to multiply. And by, and by the way, multiplication is for this life only. Evangelism is for this life only. Worship is for eternity. See, worship is what happens when the redeemed people of God live with him forever in eternity with the family of God. There's no reason to multiply. God's glory already covers everything. There's, there's no reason for evangelism because the glory of the Lord has gone forth into every nook and cranny. But in this life, God says, I've got a grand design. I want to fill the earth with the knowledge of myself through the work of the church, through the taking forth of the gospel. And what we've been wrestling with as leaders is what does that mean for us at Four Oaks? Okay. Because not every church is called to multiply in every way. So we've been asking, we've been, we've been praying, we've been metaphorically fasting in that sense to say, God, give us a holy discontentment to show us who you're calling Four Oaks to be. Now in your little kept booklets, and if you have one, you can pull it out. If not, you can grab one. Again, on the way out today, we've been camping out in these over the past few weeks. We talk about a couple of strategic initiatives that we believe God is calling us to fund and to prayerfully plan and strategize for. And I want to talk about those two things here. 
I don't want to do it by myself, though. I'm going to invite um, one of our pastors, Pastor Josh, up to join me on stage. Why is Josh joining me? Well, instead of one person monologuing, we thought it'd be cool to get two people monologuing. How about that? No. Um, we thought, um, in, in one way, guys, Josh, I first met Josh when he was a senior in high school skipping my youth group, okay? So that, 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 that's, and, and, I, and I brought him here to, to rebuke him for that this morning. But Josh is a real, um, I think, a product of multiplication, um, raising the church, set aside, wanting to grow, wanting to use his gifts and, and talents and resources. Josh has been our worship pastor. Josh has been our executive pastor. And, um, and I think Josh brings a, a, a great perspective as it relates to multiplication. Josh, you know, for, for those who are sitting here this morning and multiplication does not really touch them, okay, or they're, or they're not moved by that, or, or maybe there's people here who are cynical, you know, like, we have enough churches, we have enough congregations, there's empty seats in here, there's empty seats there. Why, why, do we, why has God given us this, this vision of multiplication to the church? Well, I'm not sure I could improve upon your apologetic for multiplication. Mm-hmm. I give my amen to everything that you said. The only thing I would add, I think, is that there's a really simple reason why we multiply, and that is because there are men and women all over Tallahassee, all over North Florida, all over the U.S., and all over the world who draw breath right this second under the judgment of God for their sin, and they will die and spend eternity in hell apart from the God who made them for himself, unless through our prayers and through our willingness to go and carry the gospel to them, God might do a work. Uh, to reconcile them to himself. And, uh, and so there's, there, there's a missiological impulse, that, meaning uh, because of the mission of God, because of what he's entrusted to us. Uh, and we, we want to see men and women come to faith in Christ. And I, every, every study shows, everywhere you look, the churches that are best situated to reach unchurched people are new churches. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is that in established churches like Four Oaks, we have to constantly swim against the current of existing for ourselves, of being inwardly focused. We struggle with that here at times. And new churches, they get established, they're small, they're fledgling, and that impulse is just right in front of them all the time yeah. uh, to reach people, to, to have people come in to, for, the sustainab- for the sustainability of the church and for the sake of the mission that God's given them. Josh, you know, for, for those of you who are, who are those here who are fairly new to the church and may not know our history, we have had opportunity to be involved in, in church planting initiatives before. And, and one that I particularly think about that was particularly meaningful was our partnership with Fellowship Raleigh. Maybe just kind of bring the folks here into the loops. So they will know a little bit more about that and how that's going. Yep, we have, we have some, some church planting bona fides in our past. Uh, about 10 years ago, we sent... Matt Schoolfield, who was actually my best friend growing up, uh, to Raleigh, North Carolina, to plant Fellowship Matt Raleigh. Matt also skipped my youth group as a senior, but go ahead. Okay. We, were, we were doing evangelism, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh-huh. It wasn't evangelism. No. Uh, but now we are. And so there's Matt. Uh, he's a fellow bearded brother, and we love him for that and for a lot of other reasons, too. Yep. But we sent Matt up to Raleigh with, uh, with a core group. We sent some people to go uh, and help get that work established. We also uh, really gave generously of our resources over the course of a few years, we gave uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $150,000 to establish that work there. And when you think about that number, you can get a little bit of sticker shock, right? Like, that's, that's a bunch of money. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we, we love the advance of the gospel, and we love to see new churches planted. And, and I, think, I think we could say from Scripture, you know, John says in 1 John that it's by this we know love. Here's how we know what love is, that Jesus gave his life, that he laid down his life for us, and I think there's a sense in which we could say that love isn't love until it's costly, mm. and so we express our love for uh, for the people of Raleigh who need the gospel by by resourcing and, and sending Matt uh, to 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 lead the work there. That church is doing really well. They just bought a building, and uh, they're they're flourishing and, and and doing really well. That's we're also you know Carrie and Jenny Schofield who were I mean many many years decades here, and they've. And they didn't retire to the woods. They've, re- they've retired to Raleigh so they can labor in service there. And so that, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's an incredible story. Josh, again, for those who may not be aware of it, what are some ways that Four Oaks is involved in church planting right now? Primarily, uh, we are 
joyfully partnered up with the Sojourn Network for the sake of church planting. Sojourn Network is a, is a collective of about 50-ish, 50-plus churches, who, and the network exists to plant, grow, and multiply healthy churches that last. That's sort of the tagline, the mission statement of Sojourn Network. And uh, so we unite uh, at, with other churches in the network to provide training, uh, support, share best practices, and then also to fund the work of church planting. So there's uh, several church plants going right now that um, uh, are as a result of our generosity, your generosity, to the network. Uh, Dustin Crawford was here. He's, he's planting a church uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, in, in inner city Atlanta, which is going really well. And so that's a wonderful thing that we celebrate, not only financially, but uh, we've, uh, we've invested some in leadership with the network through our, our, our dear friend and brother, Pastor Dave, uh, who just recently rotated off our staff, spent a couple of years leading the network from Four Oaks. Um, Paul serves, uh, many of you may not know this, but he serves as a strategist for the network. He coaches uh, about four or five guys who are planting in the southeastern United States, giving them care and encouragement and making sure that they're, that they're doing okay and, and, and sticking with it for the long haul. And that's just on the domestic side. Uh, we've also, uh, we're involved in church planting internationally as well. Uh, we have gospel partners positioned to plant churches who will plant churches in a couple of places that are really dark. Um, we have planters, uh, gospel partners in Nepal, where there, which is a real stronghold of Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, and then in Morocco as well, which is a country that's 99.9995% Muslim. And so we're, we're funding the work uh, of those partners there as well. So thinking about how church planting might, might land upon us just right here, right now where we are, um, just maybe kind of talk about this vision that, that we have to think about making a gospel imprint in our Judea and Samaria. Yeah. So right before Jesus ascends in Acts 1.8, he says, you, my disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were at the time, and then in Judea and Samaria, which is the regions surrounding Jerusalem, and then to the ends of the earth. And so we see a mandate to go and to establish new works and make disciples locally where we are, which would be Tallahassee. Uh, we want to see that happen in our region as well, through North Florida and onto the ends of the earth. As you think about North Florida, guys, depending on where you draw the boundary lines, from Jacksonville to Pensacola is like three million people. And every one of those people is made in the image of God and needs to know the God who made them for himself. And we want to see that happen. They need a local church who will, who will evangelize them and preach the gospel to them. Um, again, for those who may not be a part of our history or come here fairly recently, We've also been involved in starting new congregations that are a part of the Four Oaks family of churches here in, here in Tallahassee. And so several years ago, 2008-9, elders decided we want to be a, a horizontal church, not a vertical church, meaning we just don't want to grow up okay, and higher and singularly. We want to grow out and spread out wide horizontally. And for us, we, we decided a faithful mission or a faithful application of that mission was to start multiple congregations throughout the city um, of Tallahassee. We launched our first congregation, our second congregation, excuse me, um, in Midtown about three and a half years ago. Josh, maybe just kind of provide folks an update on, on what's happening there at Midtown and why that gives us confidence going forward and thinking about establishing more congregations. Well, the subject of Midtown brings us a lot of joy because uh, it's actually, its existence and its flourishing is a real apologetic for this vision and what, we, what we're seeking to do. We sent off a core team of about 75 folks to get that work started. And over the few years, uh, under Pastor Lance and the other elders' leadership there, it's grown. There's over 350 or so people who gather there every Sunday. There's, we're hearing stories of people coming to Christ there, leadership being raised up, uh, real vision for making an impact in their community there. And uh, it's just been really sweet to see, um, because we were willing to release and to send and to multiply, to see how God's really established that work there. It's been, it's been really amazing and really encouraging. And so as leaders, we've been praying and, and seeking the Lord and saying, okay, God, what, what does this mean for us? What, what, what's next for Four Oaks? What, what do more congregations look like here in Tallahassee? And, and one of the things that the elders um, have real unity on is not only that vision, but also that that um, Josh and Katie, Katie who's here, um, would be, we want them to prayerfully consider leading such a work. And so, so Josh, what, um, what's compelled you and Katie, as I said in first service, I think you got a pretty good gig here at, at, um, 
at Killarn, okay? So what would compel you guys to want to prayerfully consider multiplying? You know, I have the, I have the greatest gig in the world at Killarn. I, I love this church. I, I've been a part of this community for 22 years. My family came here when I was a surly teenager uh, who would skip Paul's youth group and not feel bad about it. And every, every milestone, everything that God's done in my adult life has happened in the context of Four Oaks. I've been cared for. Uh, you have been patient with me. You have uh, given me opportunities to grow and to, and to change and to mature and to take on more and more responsibility within the church. And we love it here. We love it here. And the, the thought of, 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 of making the choice to separate ourselves from this community feels like, like hacking off a limb or something. It, it, uh, it's, it's, it's a painful thing for us to consider. But at the same time, uh, we, we have a measure of, and we believe the elders uh, have, have affirmed this, we feel a measure of holy discontent uh, that you were talking about earlier in our hearts. And so just as we're asking the whole church to, to look at that generosity pathway on the card and say, what would it look like for the Lord to give you faith to take a step forward in that? That's what we feel like he's been doing in us. Uh, he's inviting us to take a step forward to, to lead and to, and to, to preach. And, and honestly, as, as I think about the pain of leaving behind what we have here at Killarn, there's something about the vision of, of spending, if the Lord would give us, you know, three or four decades, you know, leading a community, preaching God's word, praying with people, serving our community. If we could have the opportunity to do that, that sounds like a life that, that's pretty sweet and pretty worth living mm-hmm. to us. Josh, thanks for being here, sharing your heart for the Four Oaks um, family. Guys, let's thank Josh for chatting with us. I'm pulling up the stool so you know it must be serious. Okay, so let, let, let me try to um, address a couple of just maybe questions that, that these discussions may spark in your minds and just kind of let you know the thinking of the pastors and elders uh, about a couple of things. We recently had a, a retreat where we pulled away, and, and I think there was, there, was, there was several points of real unity among our leadership related to, to multiplication. And, and, and one is that we, we do believe that God is... God is leading us forward in these initiatives. But, but more specifically, we, we believe that God is calling us to be a multi-congregational church in Tallahassee. Um, we believe that, that, that God is preparing Josh and Katie to, to do this work. But the one thing that we're, we're not clear at all on is, is this issue of, of, of timing. And, 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 and there's, a number, there's, a, there's several reasons why we're approaching this um, cautiously, if I can use that word. Because we recognize that multiplication, while it is glorious, okay, multiplication is hard, okay? Um, these last four years since we've launched our Midtown congregation, they, they've, been, they've been, there's been a lot of change, a lot of fluidity here at, at Killarn. It's, it's, it's been taxing, right? It's taxing to, to say goodbye to friends and you see them, you know, once a year now at the Four Oaks Family Christmas event or something. Um, now, we haven't sent them to Siberia. We get it. You see them in Publix and all that sort of stuff. But, but nonetheless, like, okay, we, they, they're launching new community groups. And there's new relationships and there's new initiatives. Guys, it, it's hard on, it's, it, that can be hard on us. It can be hard on the church staff. I mentioned this in the first service. You know, Rob and Shannon are like, hey, you took away all of our children's and student workers, okay? And now they're going to, Julia's shaking her head, yes, okay? Um, all of our children's workers um, are down at Midtown now. And so we recognize the, that multiplication, while it's glorious, it comes at a great cost. And as we look at where Killarn is, we, we really do feel like God has met us, that we are finally back on a, on a, on a bit of a growth her for the first time in, in, in a number of years. Um, but we also continue to believe that Kalar needs stability and growth before, quote-unquote, giving birth again. Okay, now, now, parents, you understand this, right? Okay. Um, you, you can have two children who are within 11 months of each other. You, that's possible, right? But is it optimal? No. Okay, right? Not at all, right? Okay, there's a high cost of that. We feel like it's the same in relationship to where we are here as a, as a congregation at Killarn, that, that we need more time. And so w- one, of the, one of the phrases that, I, that I've kind of stumbled on that I think is, is reflects where we are is to say that this multiplication is not imminent, but 
it's inevitable. Okay, it's inevitable. And I think that's important for us to understand. And you may say, Pastor Paul, if it's not imminent, like happening today or tomorrow or next year, what, 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 why are we talking about it now? Let me use this illustration. Matt Chandler, who is a pastor at Village Church in Texas, um, six or seven years ago was diagnosed with a, it was a stage three, I think, brain tumor. And by the way, um, Gabe Peters was here in the first service and praise God for his healing graces in Gabe's life. And so continue to pray for them, but they're doing, they're doing really well. Um, and, and Matt said as he reflected on this and kind of facing his mortality, um, really, and, he, and Matt's doing, doing really well as, as well, but Matt had done a lot of preaching and teaching on suffering for the previous few years, few years in the life of the church. And his rationale being, we're a young church, but the time to talk about suffering, the time to preach about suffering, to teach about suffering is the optimal time is not right in the middle of suffering, is it? Okay. This is not the time to download a theological discourse in God's providence and sovereignty over suffering when someone is dying on the hospital bed. Okay. Um, that's the time for comfort, yes, of, of God's care and providence. But, but, but it, it's meaty work that needs to happen so that when we go through suffering, we can reach back and grab hold of the resources that God's been storing in our hearts. Okay, does that make sense? That's, that's the same way with multiplication. The time to prepare for multiplication is not when you're multiplying. Okay? The time to prepare for multiplication is, is now. It's to begin praying. It's to begin thinking. It's to begin strategizing. And then just trusting in God's providence that as the money comes in, as debt is reduced, as the church continues to grow, as we continue to have more momentum, and you know, that, that, that we are in a healthier and healthier place to do that. So we just want you to kind of, just to kind of know a little bit of our thinking, the things that we're, that we're wrestling through. If you're like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? We just birthed one congregation, are we going to birth another? Not imminent, but however, inevitable. And one of the things that, that, that our, prayer, our prayer this season is that you will see how God, see, we, we, we want to prepare spiritually, but we also want to prepare financially, and how God uses generosity, how he connects that to multiplication. So oftentimes we see this in the scriptures where it's like the, the, the people were giving, they were laying their gifts at the feet of the apostles, they were, they were storing up. What compelled them to do this, to be generous? multiplication. I want you to watch this story as we close our service about one couple here at Four Oaks, the Petchers, who tasted the grace of God in their life and because of that are even more compelled to multiply. My name is Aaron Petcher and this is Yaakov. We have two kids who are now five and nine. The day before Thanksgiving in 2011, we received the news that I had um, breast cancer, stage four. It was in my lungs and my spine. And I was told that without starting aggressive treatment right away, I would die within a year. Um, and with treatment, it would at the most be um, treatable, never curable. It was a normal day, going to work, laughing with colleagues, doing my usual academic statistical things and going to lunch with a friend, and I remember leaving and getting the call from Aaron of, it's, it's cancer, it's stage four. And, I mean, I crumbled. I, I was outside of Chipotle and just crumbled on some guy's truck and just broke down in tears. The first reaction is just this, God, what is this? What does this mean? There were thoughts of, I'm going to be a single dad. Um, what am I going to do without my wife? Naomi was nine months old, and she didn't even crawl yet. She'd never taken a bottle. And the reality of needing to immediately wean her, mind racing about whether you should tell Abigail, who was three and a half years old, that she needed to prepare to be more independent and to, to raise her little sister. Getting that news was a total disaster. 
I started chemo right away. The Lord really kept us through all of it. We knew He was there. We knew He was present and that He cared. We just didn't know the next step. We didn't know His plan, um, but we knew how to go moment by moment. We hadn't been in the church for very long at that time, and neither of us had experience really with being deeply involved in a church community. So being part of the family of Christ didn't mean that much to us. And we really thought that silently and strongly carrying these burdens would show our faith, our community group. They started reaching out to us. Andrew Wellman called from our from the parking lot of the hospital at one point and said that he was there to come to my biopsy. And we tried to say no, and he showed up anyway. And we were like, who is this guy that wants to continually show up and love us? And we would go back during your doctor's appointments, and two and a half hours later, there's Andrew sitting in the waiting room just kind of asking us how it went. And the type of support and love that we received from our entire community, but especially the Wellmans, was just something that really overwhelmed us. We had never really had a sense of what community and church looked like until we walked through this with our community group. That's something that sticks with us to this day. We were reading through James and saw that it says that if anyone is sick, he should have the elders of the church come and pray for them. Before it came to the point of needing to reach out and ask, Yaakov told me that someone from the church had called and asked if they could organize for the pastors and elders to come pray for us. Yeah, and that was, it was both a humbling moment, it was also a very gracious moment. The fact that the pastors wanted to get involved and to come over and taking the word seriously was just such a blessing to us. Pastors were like putting their arms around me and comforting me and comforting our family. And it was, it was such a touching, meaningful moment for us. Kent Hamilton then who I don't think I'd ever even met. He's one of the elders, and he um, looked at me and he said, I believe that God answers prayers, and I believe that God is for you. And it was just the most profound moment of faith, and it really carried me through a lot of dark times. We went to three experts on uh, cancer, like mine, and when the final one came back, no chance I could ever be cancer-free for even a day. I went outside and I prayed that um, that the Lord would he- help me and heal me, and um, that He would help me with my unbelief. Thirty-six hours later. I went to get the test results from a PET scan, and that's when my doctor, the one who had first told us, there's no hope for you, your only hope is to pray to your God for a miracle, stopped me in the, um, in the nurse's triage to tell me that um, my cancer was all gone and that he'd never seen anything like it. He rejoiced along with us. 85% of people with this diagnosis are dead within five years. It's been over five years and um, no hint of any kind of cancer for even a day since then, which is the impossible part. The Lord created a boldness of faith that wouldn't have happened without cancer. God transformed us to be able to move from here's how we're equipped to how here's how the Holy Spirit is equipping us in our weakness to be able to serve. We've committed to being part of the launch team for the Four Oaks East side. What's exciting to us is that we've been here in Killarn for seven years and we've been poured into and we've had people care for us and love us and we've been broken here. Being able for us to live in a place in a part of the community where I'm working, where our family is already doing life, is something that God has really put on our hearts. It means sacrifice. It means investing in one thing at the cost of others, saying goodbye to some friendships for right now, saying goodbye to certain comforts for right now. But Jesus isn't calling us to comfort. He's calling us to glorify the name of the Lord. He's calling us to bring the gospel to unreached people. And that's just resonated so strongly with us. We can't do anything but go.
Brooks, God, the, the call of God on each of us to multiply, that's going to look different. Some of you, multiplication might have a global, a global thread. Some of you, that, that might mean doing something like the Petras are doing. Some of you, it may mean something distinctive related to your family and your own kids or your community group or what, what have you. What I want you to, to grab from, from that, there's so much there. And thank you, Petrus, for sharing your testimony. There's so much there. One thing I just want to, want to connect for you is this idea of the grace of God has so captured my heart, I must do something with it. It cannot be contained. And I don't know what that multiplication looks like for you, but I do know it's, it's integral. It's it's ontological. It's part of who we are. We can't be that if we are a Christian, a child of Christ. And we're asking as, as pastors and elders that, God, you stir our hearts for that vision. Whatever it looks like, stir it for us in our groups, in our families, in our personal walks with him, and as a, and as a church. Because next Sunday is, is something we're calling um, Commitment Sunday. And, and we've talked a good bit about this. And we're going to mail you a commitment card. And, th- and these things are under your seats today. You can grab one if you want. Um, and that'll kind of go through some of the logistics and, and mechanics of, of what all that's going to look like. It's not going to be a high-pressure um, sale or something like that. It's going to be an opportunity for us to go to God's Word and, and try to understand what it means to be um, generous people for the kingdom. But, but, but when we think about... Um, what's at stake here? I, I, I want to read this passage to us from 1 Timothy. It's very familiar to you. I want to hone in on one part of this before we dismiss. Here's Paul's charge for us. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See, see, that's our heart's desire, is that God would give us a holy discontentment that we might instead be propelled to grab hold of that which is truly life. We want to pray that for you. Pray that for us. We want to pray that for one another as we, as we wrestle around what it means to embrace the call of kept here at Four Oaks Community Church. Let me say on behalf of your pastors and elders, it's been a great joy. Thank you for giving us this privilege to ask and wrestle with you, God, what's next? What have you kept us for? And as we dismiss today, I want to take this opportunity just to pray for you. So let's stand.